This is Hope and Health with Doctors Michelle and Mark Sherwood. Insights and interviews with a dose of straight talk to help you enjoy optimal health in all areas of life. We hope you're enjoying these teachings because it is critical that we get this because when we don't, we end up getting very, very unhealthy. And our state, I was looking at some stats recently. Did you know? We're from Oklahoma, by the way. Our state right now is 67.1% with obesity or wow. overweight. Now, that's not okay. Wow. I shared that with a group recently, and their, their jaws dropped. And I said the greatest, uh, most uh, serious, significant, dangerous pandemic is the pandemic of obesity because it's the mm-hmm. actual fastest-growing non-communicable disease in the history of the world. Did you know that? That's fascinating to think about. It's also very sad. That means you can't give it to your neighbor. Yeah. You can cure it on your own. That's it. And many times we hear about these comorbidities that sort of um, associate with this COVID mortality Mm -hmm. idea, and obesity is right up there. So I, I think that we should understand that we create the lethality the majority of the time, which is not something we should be proud of. It's something yeah. we should be very sad with. And to, encourage again... encourage each other to get out of that crisis. It is. And, you know, like we talked about before, you know, neither of us here, we're not obese. And I'm not knocking anybody that is or overweight. That's not the point. But people that are overweight or obese out there should understand that we're not weirdos, <laughs> that this is not abnormal. So even though obesity or overweightness has been some, what, of a normalcy. We need to understand that that is nowhere near normal. You look at pictures from, I don't know, 75 years ago at the beach. Did you see anybody that was overweight? Uh, No. It was rare. And if you were overweight, your friends would go to you and say, man, you need to get the doctor right now because you're sick. And today, it's the opposite. If you're overweight and you lose weight, people say, you need to go to the doctor. Are you sick? You got got cancer? Yes, people will not tell you if you're overweight. But boy, if you lose weight, they're going to think something's wrong. Yeah, they won't tell you if you're overweight because they're they're afraid they're going to offend you. But they'll tell you when you're underweight because they think that's sick. My, my, my. What used to be right is now wrong. What used to be left is now right. What used to be up is now wrong down. It is a crazy world we live in. And it's very interesting. A lot of people actually could. The majority of people come into the office and they want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So if they're pointing that out to another person that, boy, you're losing weight, perhaps that person really needs to lose weight themselves. And they they know it. And people do project on each other, no question. So we were, um, just to kind of set the tone for this teaching session, we're going to go over just the seven pillars, just very briefly, just to remind you. And then we're going to talk about this thing called DNA tonight. So this is going to be DNA. really cool. And then, of course, we got a section on what does the Bible say about health, because we're always going to do that. You know that. Um, and that's important to us. So this is going to be the reminder of the seven pillars. So at the top of the list, what do you see? Nutrition, nutrition, nutrition. That's the most important medical decision you make every day. Hippocrates said... Let food be thy medicine, and medicine be thy food. So what's at the end of your of your fork really does matter. We call those fork curls. Mm-hmm. For each fork curl, we have to be mindful because we're either creating disease or preventing it. We're either mm. adding to, z- to disease or we're taking away from disease. So if you want those last 50 years to be golden, you really need to think about what's at the end of your fork. Yeah, and don't let your last 50 years rust. Um, sleep. 
We know we've got to get that. We've talked about that seven to eight hours. Go back and revisit our teachings on uh, sleep hygiene and what you need to know about sleep. Super important. And stress management. We have to have a different perspective, a different response to stress. Instead of reacting to it, we have to be able to change our internal nervous system to a response mechanism instead of reaction mechanism. Remember, that was our teaching on stress. We need to redefine it as a verb and not a noun. And then we talk about movement, move more, sit less. Um, If you want kind of hardcore data, the American Heart Association recommends 150 minutes a week of moderate activity exercise or 75 minutes a week of vigorous exercise and three days a week of weight training. So if you're not doing that, you're not even meeting those standards. Those standards, in my mind, are very basic standards. We need to be doing a little bit better than that. There are even studies out there that say 15 minutes a day actually decreases mortality and morbidity. That's huge. 15 minutes. That's not much. Move more. Sit less. And so, you know, we we talk about this thing called DNA, and we're going to really jump right in the middle of that with a more detailed explanation. And And this is a uh, good one. Really cool. And so we want to understand that. And and we actually test your DNA when you come see us, just FYI. So we have a plan that includes that. That's important to understand. So deoxyribonucleic acid, we're going to give you a really cool definition of how genetics work. Just because you're born with a certain set of genes does not mean you have to have a poor outcome. You do need to know, however, how to take care of those genes. If you're predisposed to diabetes and sugar's the problem, you got to take care of the problem, right? We've got to moderate it, regulate it, and oftentimes get it out of our lives. There's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Mm-mm. Look at the literature. We can get carbohydrates from protein. We so can. There are essential amino acids and essential fatty acids, but boy, we don't need the carbohydrate load that we've got. If we're putting them on weak genes, it's easy to become a type 2 diabetic. No question. we got these things called hormones. We'll spend a lot of time talking about those in future sessions. Um, hormones being these chemical messengers, think of them as emails. Emails carrying a signal or emails carrying a package with instructions. And the last but not least, peptides, short chains of amino acids. These are regenerative molecules. Your body makes them, helps you regenerate uh, intestinal mucosa. It helps you regenerate your muscle tissue, your ligaments, your tendons, your bones, your hair, your skin, your nails. Boy, a good amino acid score in peptides does a body good. So those are the seven we talk about a lot. And now we're going to really focus a little bit of teaching on this idea of DNA. And the best way to kind of start off with this is by illustration. So illustration meaning this. We call this a damn gene illustration. So, you know, that sounds kind of crude, but it's not. So I want you to see that waterfall kind of thing coming out of the dam. That's the water that's being let out of the dam into the river below. Now, pretend for a moment the river below is part of your life and you live on the edge of the river and the river comes up and it begins to get up too high and begins to creep up into your door and kind of get in your house. Well, that would be a sign of getting sick. And so you go to the doctor and they throw you a sandbag, right? The water comes up more, they're going to throw you another sandbag and you get the beat goes on. So in other words, um, pharmaceutical treatment There's no exit strategy, nor is there discussion on why the water came up. However, in this analogy, we want you to get this because it talks about where genes come in. Back upstream, you see this big concrete barrier right there called the dam. That's holding back the water from the reservoir. You see the upstream there there on the far right. Now, with that said, when you look at that, you have to think about this. The environment or the reservoir is interacting with the dam or the genes. So we have this environmental 
genetic response that keys into the way we let water out. And obviously the wrong reservoir, the wrong environment, too much of the bad things, the dam can't keep up and you have flooding. So the dam is your genes and your genes knowing how they operate are very super incredible for what we try to do to get you well. So when you understand how the genes operate, you can sort of develop a plan to keep you disease resilient or keep the water from coming up downstream. There's some terms that we want you to understand about uh, genes that you might find uh, somewhat uh, familiar, but you'll see it's a really, really good review. So just some quick terminology here that I want you to catch regarding genes. Well, and we talked about DNA before, that you get part from your mom and part from your dad. The chromosomes is the structure found in the nucleus of a cell, which contains the genes. And we know chromosomes come in pairs. That's why you get part from mom, part from dad, 23 from mom, and 23 from dad to equal 46 total chromosomes. Then, of course, we have the gene. That's a specific sequence of nucleotides. We'll talk about those in a minute, but think of nucleotides as alphabet or building blocks in your DNA, RNA. Well, that's been a big discussion these days, hasn't it? Mm, It's located usually on a chromosome, and that's the functional unit of inheritance controlling the transmission and expression of one or more traits by specifying the structure of a particular polypeptide or especially a protein or controlling function like an enzyme of other genetic material. So genes are actually the communication alphabet of sorts. And so this is a big deal when you talk about the terminology. Think about chromosomes and genes. But if we look a little bit deeper into this idea of a gene, we find this kind of picture and definition. So this is really, really cool when we start to look at this. Genes, of course, are the best known um, instructors for building proteins. However, only a portion of these nucleotides in gene actually code for a protein itself. And other parts of the protein or the gene provide additional information, specifically, you know, sequences that control when and where and how much of a protein to make. Think regulators or regulations. So genes really do not control your destiny. Like we said before, genes are the loaded gun, and it's the environment that you put on them or that you're exposed to that actually pulls the trigger. So if you change the environment, you actually change the expression of the genes. How cool is that? So genes can help you know what may backfire easily. For example, if you put extra fat into a system that codes for triglyceride issues, do you think that person's going to be successful with managing their triglycerides? Absolutely not. They're going to continue to have high triglycerides. So knowing the weakness in a system's genetics can help us focus on what's important, how to fit, how to fix it, and it helps predict what environment to avoid and actually what environment to put it on, put on a person to help them heal and be whole and healthy long term. So you can inherit either a major uh, problem with a gene, it's either inserted or it's deleted, or you can simply insert what we call a modification or a mutation of it. Really cool. Now, so understanding what the genes do is critically important. And when you think about this, there's there's a little bit more terminology we kind of want you to be aware of because many times if the genes are sort of structured together with your letters of the alphabet, these nucleotides, the letters, the letter order makes a big difference. But what is a 
nucleotide, you ask? Well, a nucleotide is simply a subunit of DNA or RNA that consists of a nitrogenous base and a phosphate molecule and a sugar molecule. And there's thousands of nucleotides that are linked together to form DNA or RNA. And significantly, there a codon in DNA or RNA is a sequence of three nucleotides that codes for a specific or certain amino acid or signals its uh, termination or translation of it. A SNP is called a single nucleotide polymorphism. And as you see there, if you change one of these nucleotides, if you simply change a letter and you change an F to an H, it turns fat to hat and it changes what you see as far as the description of it. So if you change fat to hat, you completely get a different look. And if you change hat to cat, that's a completely different look too. Yeah, so one letter changes the entire meaning or function. So this is when you have these single letter changes that we'll talk about in just a moment. And there's a name for that that you've probably heard many, many times. But the bottom line is this terminology is very important because especially in today's world, it's really um, bantered about a lot. You know, DNA, this, RNA, this. What does it all mean? Well, it's really important to understand that, remember, the chromosomes, 23 and 23, mom, dad, 46 total, they are lines of genes. And inside those genes, genes are all made up of these nucleotides. And if you have 23 from mom and 23 from dad, that means there's like um, two sets That's right. of a set of genes. And so it's interesting how the two sets become one. So when mom and dad, Michelle came together, dad donated 23, mom donated 23, and they, they had this like two potatoes coming together and smash and making a brand new mashed potato. And so <laughs> these good. orders of letters might get a little bit jumbled. In other words, you could have an A go to a T or a T go to an A, and it might be just one letter change. But boy, it changes letter, the function. It does. And when it changes the function, the we end up with these these uh, definitions here. And this is fascinating because um, when you think about this allele, you want to think pairs, right? That's right. And Across from each other. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of different types of pairs. Now, wild type, you see there, wild type doesn't mean anything other than it's the most common genotype in a given population. It doesn't always mean that it's got a good function or a bad function, a good contribution or a bad fun contribution. It's simply the most common in a given population. A heterozygote means that it's carrying two different alleles for a certain gene. So there's uh, two different colors there that you can specifically see. And a homozygote is going to have identical alleles for any one gene that are the least common and different from the wild type. Right. So when you think about these three types, this is the way we kind of get structured. And I, I like to look at them like this. When you can see homozygous there means same. Heterozygous is different. Uh, when wild type, it's not like it's wild or bad. It's like it's, it's just the most uncommon pair. So the heterozygous, for example, will be the most common or most normal one with a little more abnormal ones. I hope that clears it up a little bit. That does. Yeah. And so when you look at the study of nutrition upon what it does to your genes, back to our dam analogy, when the environment affects the dam and lets water out. So the reservoir pushes the dam to let water out. So now we've got to talk about the study of the reservoir and the dam. What does that mean? It means that these alleles begin to have a functionality. And we end up with this kind of picture here. This is cool. This is called 
nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics, and nutritional genomics. Nutrigenomics. Interesting terminology. So, nutritional genomics is the science of studying the relationship between the human genome, that's all the genes, nutrition, what you take in, what's at the end of your fork, and your health. Back to our damn analogy. So when you have the damn analogy, and I'm going to hopefully show you that one more time, it's very important to understand that. Now you see the science of this nutra genomic idea. Here's here's our dam again right here. You know, one more time. Let me get back to that. There it is right there. There's our dam. So now we see the reservoir becoming the environment, pushing on the dam, which is our genes, letting out water, which is the genetic expression. Isn't that cool? So this is interesting is so how cool. these dam genes great, work, aren't they? <laughs> right. You'll remember that probably forever now, you know. So uh, it, it's big to understand that we'll spend some time over the next um, few sessions over the course of time talking more about some specific uh, genes that really make a big impact on our health. And there's a bunch of them out there. So we hope that you've kind of enjoyed that little bit of overview and we're going to keep this discussion going. But we want to take the last four or five minutes we have here to talk about what the Bible says about health. And I think this is critically important to understand. So we've got three quick scriptures I want you to go through tonight, and here they are. So the first one is, Worship the Lord your God, and His blessings will be upon your food and your water. I will take away any sickness from among you. That's in Exodus chapter 23, verse 25. So if we worship correctly, we understand that God's blessing will be on our provision, our food and water, and he's going to take sickness away from us. So if you want your provision to be blessed and your health to be protected, in other words, if you want to have less sickness and more health, you got to worship God, clearly, right? That's right? So the question becomes at that point is, how do you, and what is really true worship of God? Because that's the million dollar question. Is it just singing a hymn? Is it giving a, a plink in the offering bucket like of a dime or a dollar or five dollars? Or is it attending church, you know, four Sundays in a row and get a certificate? I don't know. But what is true worship? There's two verses when I go across tonight that are going to show you true worship. Here's one. In First Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. So you fear him, you honor him, you serve him with all your heart, and you consider all the blessings you have. That's super key, folks, to understanding true worship. So you got to fear him, honor him, and count your blessings. I was saying, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Yeah. I remember that old song, a gospel song, right? So here you go. Here's Back one more day. about how to truly worship. And this is a really cool one. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Fascinating, isn't it? Can you worship God in the ability to go to work? Yes, you can. We talk to our employees and staff all the time that when they come to work, work as if you're not working from us, for us. Work as if you're working for the Lord. So in all you do, do it as if you're working for the Lord, and he's the one that's supposed to pay your wages. Now, if you worship him in fear and recognition about what he's done and who he is and when you go to work and all you do, he's going to protect your food and water, 
He's going to give you good provision, all you need, and he's going to make sure that no sickness comes upon you. So in other words, he'll keep you well. He'll give you a nice, long, healthy life. Now that, my friends, is worth it. So your worship to be worthwhile needs to be from the heart in all you do, honoring God, fearing him, appreciating what he does. And when you go to work, work as if, not that you deserve it, but work as if you're working for the Lord and he's the one that's going to repay you. So that's a very important part. So we hope you've enjoyed that little segment on what the Bible says about health. And again, we like to remind you at the end of our segments of teaching here to really download the link. You know, go to the link, Sherwood.tv. You see it right there at the bottom of the screen. Go there. And we create a special uh, download ebook for you. And I want you to have that. It's 27 pages of all this stuff that we talk about. Of goodness. And more that you can't get anywhere else. So I want you to have that. And get this, every single month, we randomly draw a name of those that download and we actually give them a 30-day supply of our immune support packets. How cool is that? We also want you to avail yourself to the Health Secrets Exposed, our brand new course, 13 30-minute sessions spanning over 13 weeks. We want you to listen to a half-hour session each week on physical, emotional, spiritual health, and all the things we talk about and more. You're going to see a transformation in your life in that 13-week period, and we can't wait for you to be involved. If you want to know how to work with us, we've got ways to do that as well. Folks, we look forward to serving you. We look forward to working with you. Hope you enjoyed your time with us tonight on Hope and Health. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time, right here, same time, same station. Doctors Mark and Michelle Sherwood and their clinic can help you find the hope and health you were created to enjoy. Go to Sherwood.tv for clear, proven ways you can be healthier. Subscribe at Sherwood.tv.